from the Western Riverside Council of Governments. I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CODcast. In collaboration with the San Bernardino County Transportation Authority, also known as SBCTA, WRCOG has developed the Resilient IE Guidebook that seeks to identify regional vulnerabilities to climate change and develop resources and tools to improve regional resiliency. To better understand the need for resilience planning, consider the impacts to the Idlewild area resulting from 2018's record precipitation. Torrential rain caused rain and debris flows to exceed capacity of existing infrastructure, leading the roads to buckle. For months, stretches of both State Route 74 and 243 were closed for repairs that exceeded $100 million, isolating the community and extending commutes for residents significantly. This situation is one of many that call local leaders to prepare their communities for the threats that weather and climate pose to our region. Today, to share about the guidebook and the importance of resiliency planning, we welcome Erin Fannensteel, Principal for Atlas Planning Solutions. So Erin, thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you an Inland Empire native? Uh, So I grew up in Southern California. Um, I grew up in a small suburb called Walnut, right by Cal Poly Pomona. And uh, but I've lived in the Inland Empire for um, nearly 20 years after I graduated from UC Santa Barbara. Um, I moved down and I've lived in Chino Hills, Upland, Rancho Cucamonga, Riverside, Harupa Valley. I currently am a resident of Riverside. Wow, so you are definitely a Western Riverside County native. <laughs> I, I'm not a native, native but I'm native. very familiar. <laughs> so tell me, how did you get involved in resiliency planning? So <laughs> when I started uh, in planning, I actually, um, before I actually started in planning, I was a geologist and I worked for a geotechnical firm for a few years. Um, While I was there, uh, I realized that I really didn't enjoy uh, building projects in areas where I didn't think we should build. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I needed to get uh, further up into the process of how we build our communities, how we develop uh, properties. Mm -hmm. So I went back and got my master's in urban and regional planning at Cal Poly and uh, and then uh, started working as a private consultant for a number of consulting firms. Um, started off doing CEQA, uh, California Environmental Quality Act, uh, mainly uh, environmental impact reports. Um, and, uh, and then started to really navigate towards um, hazards, natural hazards mm-hmm. and, and resilience um, in the last 10 years or so. Um, been doing a lot of work with jurisdictions uh, helping with their local hazard mitigation plans, climate adaptation plans, mm-hmm. uh, general plan safety elements, and all of those really kind of swirl around this term of, of resilience. So can you just provide a really brief definition of what resilience planning, what that actually is? Um, you know, most of the time you hear it's uh uh, getting back to uh, a state of normalcy after some sort of incident, some sort of event. Uh, but <clears throat> when it comes to resilience planning itself, um, my view is that this is really just um, good holistic planning. 
you know, when I entered the planning field, uh, planners really tried to coin terms like smart growth or sustainability or mm-hmm. sustainable development. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, we've seen terms like climate mitigation, climate adaptation, and then resilience is one of the terms that's often used now. Uh, you know, but we try to, I think, in the planning world, um, break things down into really small pieces. Um, but I think when I look at resilience planning and and where it's at today, and and where planning is, what what planning has gone through, it's really just doing really good comprehensive planning. Um, you know, I think uh, one of the key elements that's missing um, that that hasn't really occurred up until recently is um, now we're starting to ask questions of our plans in our communities uh, about the future um, mm-hmm. and, and what we're doing today, how will the future conditions affect it? Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, kind of a key aspect to resilience planning um, and, and what you can um, refer to as resilience planning. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say are like three main related changes for the WCAG region related to resilience planning? So um, when we talk about kind of resilience and, you know, uh, changing conditions, future conditions, um, you know, one of the big, big changes that I think we're, we're going to see for the region is um, changing in temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the projections right now um, indicate it's just it's going to get hotter, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere between six and nine degrees, uh, depending on, you know, whose calculations you're, you're looking at. Um, and so as things get warmer in the region, as well as in the state and, and um, everywhere, um, what we'll see is that that uh, those increases in temperature actually have kind of ripple effects. Mm-hmm. And so um, <clears throat> one of the things we're uh, looking at with the Resilient IE project is um, that we can expect the number of days where we have extreme heat conditions mm-hmm. to increase. Um, right now in the city of Riverside, uh, anything over um, around 103 degrees is considered an extreme heat day. Uh, you know, historically we've seen, you know, maybe four to six of those in any given year, but we know that um, if the trends continue as they uh, seem to be, that that's going to increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is that um, storms that are coming through the region are more intense. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're seeing areas um, that are flooding more or areas that have not historically flooded um, start to flood. Mm-hmm. Um, droughts, uh, we just came out of one of the most severe droughts in the last 1,200 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, and we're, what we're starting to see uh, with a lot of the, the data that's being collected is there's uh we're, we're anticipating that there's going to be more droughts and that those droughts may um may, may be severe in the way that they were on this last time around um, and then you have these interactions uh you know if you think about lake elsinore uh, they had a pretty uh, intense wildfire that occurred mm-hmm. and then after that we had some intense rains yeah and those rains then uh, you know, triggered uh, this massive uh, super bloom, which was an amazing sight to see. But there's all of these 
consequences associated with each of those events individually. And when you compound those together, um, it really takes a toll on mm-hmm. a community. And, you know, I think one of the things we look at from a resilience standpoint is uh, how do we ensure that we can bounce back uh, when we get hit so many times in a row by mm-hmm. by events that either we weren't expecting or we've never seen before. Totally. Yeah, the city of Lake Elsinore was totally a champ this past year. And one of the things that you mentioned was this idea that there was, there's going to be this the rising heat, right? And so what are the implications of that heat on our infrastructure? Oh, that's a really good question. And, and I think it's one question that um, our communities aren't asking enough of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when we think about <clears throat> a city's assets, um, you know, they, they typically have buildings that they've constructed like city hall community centers. Um, if those buildings were built 30 years ago, they may not have been built to the standards that we would expect today. Mm-hmm. And as uh, we see increasing temperatures, that means that those buildings may not have as much insulation as uh, they should uh, or or we'd like them to have. And if they don't, then their heating and cooling costs may be significantly higher than an equivalent building. It doesn't mean that uh, we need to then go ahead and tear everything down and rebuild it as much as start to think strategically about how do we invest the right way mm-hmm. um, with the anticipation that tomorrow we may be seeing conditions that we didn't anticipate when it was originally constructed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So do you think that there is a great focus on preparing for an event like this uh, throughout the region? Um, Do you agree with the current approach, whatever it might be? So I think when we talk about preparing and responding to events, um, there's, it's definitely easy for jurisdictions to do so when there's a definite time and place um, for that for that event. Um, when you know that you're going to have a 4th of July celebration and there's a date on the calendar and you have an expectation of what you think may happen, you can really prepare for it. And a lot of emergency response personnel are really good at doing these types mm-hmm. of things. The first responder community, uh, police and fire, they're really good at starting to plan for uh, the various things that may happen during an event. I think where we are challenged, uh, and and I think in California, we have a lot of laws on the books. We have a lot of standards and protocols that we follow that really help us in um, tackling a lot of these short-term events or or issues that, that crop up. When we look at it, uh, from a bigger, bigger picture perspective, though, this everyday approach starts to break down. Uh, it seems like um, that's really where there's the opportunity for leadership to play a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what we need is to understand that the we have to change this approach. We have to create this new paradigm of how we are tackling things that have longer timeframes and um, consequences that we may not fully understand. Yeah. You know? and, uh, and we've done it in the past um, as, you know, at the local, state, and at the federal level. 
um, and, and I anticipate that we'll be able to do it again. Totally. So then from more of an application standpoint, can you tell us a little bit more about how the grants that WRCOG and SBCTA, the grants that they've received, how do they um, look into the issues related to climate adaptation and resiliency, what we've been talking about so far? Yeah, and, and, and that's a great question because WRCOG has done a, a really great job of seeking out funding. Um, a lot of the funding that I'm aware of uh, for um, tackling a lot of these issues is coming out of the SB1 uh, funding that was passed, um, I think, about a year and a half ago. Um, and <clears throat> specifically out of the uh, a, a set aside of that funding for adaptation planning grants. And, and what these do is they provide funding to support planning actions at the local and regional levels that advance climate change efforts on the transportation system, especially efforts that serve the communities most vulnerable to climate change impacts. Mm-hmm. And the Resilient IE project is one of those where uh, we're looking at uh, updating and, and understanding the vulnerabilities of the region, not only for um, WRCOG, but also for uh, San Bernardino County, because mm-hmm. um, SBCTA, San Bernardino County Transportation Authority, is uh, a partner in this particular project. Um, as part of it, there is an adaptation I'm sorry, um, infrastructure guidebook mm-hmm. that is helping uh, define uh, ways for infrastructure uh, to adapt to some of these new conditions or, or changing requirements. Uh, and then uh, out of it will be a toolkit that all of the local jurisdictions can use to comply with some of the recent changes to state law dealing with uh, wildfire hazards and uh, climate change, uh, which now needs to be addressed in the general plan safety element. Mm. And so um, through this grant funding, uh, WRCOG and SBCT are really helping a lot of the local jurisdictions uh, do a better job of complying um, at the local level, but also understand a lot of the regional um, scale issues yeah. um, that everybody is is challenged with. Definitely. <clears throat> uh, another... A project that's coming out is an update to the uh, Captivate uh, 1.0 project. It's Captivate 2.0, and that is uh, they're going to be looking at uh, climate action, uh, update to the the regional climate action plan. Um, I'm not affiliated with that project, but I know that that's um, using uh, some SB1 funding as well. Uh, And then uh, there's another pilot project uh, that I know WR Cog is looking to fund as well uh, to take <clears throat> the resilient IE uh, work products that have been put together and uh, uh, do a little bit more uh, to to help the the local jurisdictions understand how uh, they can really integrate resilience into mm-hmm. their thinking and and uh, kind of decision making processes. Yeah. So, and I think one of the things too um, is with this project, there's a a way to leverage other funding sources. One of the uh, most common funding sources that I uh, work with and and help jurisdictions. Uh, leverage is um, hazard mitigation planning funding sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the county has a, a multi-jurisdictional hazard mitigation plan. And what that does is it opens the door to additional FEMA grants uh, where they can go out and secure funding to um, a, uh, work on um, mitigating specific hazards, natural hazards within their communities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's a lot of crossover between um, those types of projects and um 
helping with uh, resilience. Yeah. So it sounds like um, the initiatives and projects that are be- that are being taken up are very um, application based in nature. It's really designed to be a tool for jurisdictions to be able to utilize, and it's not just a theoretical framework. Yeah, it's very pragmatic, and and one of the things we're trying to do is really make it uh, easy mm-hmm. for a jurisdiction. Uh, to know exactly what they're going to need to do to adopt at the local level mm-hmm. so that they're in compliance with state requirements uh, and they're they're um, addressing the local issues that are, are, are most burdensome to, to their planning and, and engineering needs. So I have to ask, what, what would happen if we did nothing and if we just chose to avoid and Avoid at all costs. Well, it's it's hard to say um, what would happen if we did nothing. I, I think for the most part, you'll find that there are still agencies out there that are going to want to try to address uh, the, and tackle the problems and the challenges that they face. Uh, you know, will they address resilience? Um, it's debatable. Uh, it may not be a priority for some yeah, jurisdictions where. Mm-hmm. Um, as it may be a, a very important one to others. Uh, you know, I think what, um, what we see when we do something like this at the regional level is you uh, are able to uh, really affect change because, as the saying goes, um, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so uh, by WRCOG taking and SBCTA taking a leadership position, uh, and focusing on resilience uh, for the region, they're able to uh, give some of the jurisdictions that may not have the bandwidth to address these issues uh, the necessary tools and make it easy for them uh, to, to quickly um, tackle this um, while other jurisdictions are going to use it as a stepping stone for mm-hmm. kind of the next steps of what they want to do mm-hmm. uh, individually. Yeah. So then what would you say is a piece of advice that you would give decision makers in Western Riverside County then? <sighs> decision makers. Well, this is, that's, that's a tough one. I think, um, the, I think the key thing out of this is it, it, it'll take courage and faith to address the changing conditions our communities face. And when I, say, when, I, when I mention courage, it's, it's really from the standpoint that the decisions that um, will need to be made now uh, will we'll not see uh, positive or, or negative effects to our communities uh, mm-hmm. for 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they're, they're all positive effects. Um, where faith plays a role is uh, that the data, the science, and the pragmatic solutions uh, that are proposed by their staff and by uh, within the region uh, to benefit their communities, they're going to improve the lives of residents and businesses and ultimately make life easier for future generations. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't, it, it, it does a disservice uh, if, if you would think that any um, agency staff is, is going to put forth something that's actually going to make uh, the, the community worse and not better, mm-hmm. you know, but they, th- there needs to be faith there. There needs to be that, that kind of trust. Um, I think when it when we look at it from a standpoint of residents and business owners, there's a lot of opportunity here. Uh, you know, innovation is uh, is what this country was built upon, and, and there are so many ways that we can improve our cities, repair and enhance our natural environments, 
and make the world a better place for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, a lot of times we don't, we focus a little too much on um, why we can't do something instead of looking at how can we do it and where is that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so many resources and the availability of knowledge is endless, which I think can be intimidating, but then it also hopefully is empowering too because there is so much information that is available to us as just normal residents and business owners in a community. Um, do you think that there's like, could you maybe list one thing and one issue related to resiliency planning that is getting too much attention and then one thing that is not getting enough attention on the other side of the equation? Absolutely. I, I think... Uh, in this line of work, what we find is uh, um, what gets too much attention is that we um, feel the need to debate um, what's causing climate change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, regardless of what's causing it, the time for action uh, is now. Because um, if we were standing in front of the Hoover Dam and we saw water leaking out of it, um, would it make sense to start pointing the fingers at the contractor or the engineer or the, the dam operator? Um, or would it make more sense to identify that we have a problem and start to determine what is the right solution? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, if we, if we focus on uh, looking at the data that's available to us and then starting to take appropriate action, we're going to see that that um, whatever action we take, it's going to have a, a positive benefit to our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now, um, we've seen the in the last five years, the um, they've been the warmest years on record. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we need to look at is if we have that information available, um, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to our children. Um, we owe it to our communities to, to plan for what we're going to do for the next five years um, if that trend continues. Um, if we wait five more years before we do anything, what we're going to find out is that the price is going to go up. It's mm-hmm. going to be more expensive and even harder uh, to take action. Mm-hmm. And so um, we don't need to get complex as far as uh, how we... Uh, analyze the information that's available to us uh, and we definitely don't need to get complex in how we solve these problems. A lot of times they can be very simple. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I think doesn't get enough attention though is um, we don't really identify and celebrate success enough when it comes to resilience, when it comes to um, mitigating these types of hazards. Um, And what I mean by this is that we spend a lot of time discussing how expensive or damaging an event is. You know, when we talk about uh, a wildfire was 200,000 acres uh, that burned and destroyed 1,000 homes, it tells us something very negative about this. But where is the discussion about how positive the steps that were taken? Because what if it could have been worse if we had done nothing? Um, and we don't, um, we don't really spend enough time uh, starting to look at how did we take actions and steps that actually ensured that this incident only grew to a certain size and didn't get bigger than, you know, than it should have. Um, in the hazard mitigation world, 
Uh, FEMA uses a ratio that for every dollar you spend mitigating a hazard, you save four dollars mm. in response and recovery costs. And so, you know, I think one of the things we need to look at is, you know, while we talk about how expensive some incident was, you know, where is that component of well, how much more expensive would it have been if we hadn't done? taken these steps you know done these actions to mitigate this this particular hazard mm-hmm. and I, I don't think that that's something that people often think about because um, I mean with like you said wildfires they're a little bit traumatic as is but you're you're so right that um, if they had gotten worse like what could have happened and that's a really interesting stat with the one you said one dollar mitigating Something can you a hazard, yeah. A hazard right. results in four dollars savings in recovery, response and recovery costs, response and recovery costs. That's really compelling as well. Um, so kind of closing out our time with just this final question on a really practical note, um, there's definitely um, a connection between home insurance and resiliency. A natural event occurs and it increases a home insurance for that particular event. So do you think that we will ever get to the point where people won't be able to afford insurance on their houses because of these issues? Yeah, I think uh, it, this is very tough because um, we, we actually already have this happening in a, in a lot of ways and, and have had it happening um, across the nation uh, for a number of years. Uh, in California, especially after these major wildfire events that we've had in the last few years, you, you hear a lot of stories about how people have been dropped from their insurance, uh, they're unable to get insurance, and, uh, and we're seeing an increase in uh, use of what they call the California Fair Plan, which is uh, essentially a last resort option for uh, homeowners insurance uh, in wildfire areas. Um, It does not cover nearly the same amount of um, damage uh, to a structure that voluntary insurance does. Uh, And um, the rates that you pay for that insurance are, are higher. Um, and that's because, you know, insurance, the insurance industry is uh, focused on managing risk. And I think what they've recognized is that they're, they have insured homes in areas where the risk is definitely too high for them. And that's one of the reasons why they're starting to drop customers. Um, it doesn't seem like there's rhyme or reason to it sometimes, but, uh, you know, that's definitely... Uh, the trend and, and what we've seen. I think what we've also seen is that there's a lot of folks who don't realize how much insurance they have or don't. And that actually uh, impacted a lot of people trying to recover after some of these fires where they did not have enough insurance to actually cover the rebuild um, of their, their home. Um, you know, with that, many years ago, uh, the uh, FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, uh, identified that homes in the floodplain um, are required to uh, have insurance uh, through the National Flood Insurance Program. And that program came into existence because uh, insurance companies would no longer insure those homes. Mm. And so that's a program where government has stepped in to help subsidize insurance because uh, there's it's too expensive uh, or 
uh, insurance companies are unwilling to uh, cover uh, or take on that risk. So we have examples of that. Um, my, my concern is that uh, this is uh, potentially just the start uh, mm-hmm. and that we may see more um, insurance um, being lost uh, or the rates increasing. And my hope is that if there's anything that po- positive that comes out of it, it means that we start to make better decisions about where we are developing, mm-hmm. knowing that these areas may be uninsurable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we are able to find uh, less uh, risky areas mm-hmm. uh, to develop and uh, um, house our, our homes and our businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, this whole time I've just been saying, I don't think this is something that people typically think about because I don't think that resiliency planning is really things that people or the general public really take into consideration all that often. Um, but that's so true. I mean, even the location of where we develop homes or business lots or whatever that might be, um, one of my um, co-workers, his house is right on like the edge of a like a ravine, basically. And the only reason that the fires this past year didn't cross over into basically his backyard was because of that ravine. And that was a real safeguard for that whole community. But had the ravine not been there or they had built on the other side of the ravine, it would have been a much different story. And so I think that that's so true. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. Um, just getting to talk with us and um, hear a little bit more about resilience planning. I think that my biggest takeaway is just really the opportunity, like you said, for leadership to play a role in creating this new paradigm um, that has longer time frame, comes maybe with larger consequences, but then also has the potential to really positively impact our communities for generations to come, which is both a difficult reality, but a really um, fruitful reality as well. So do you have any final remarks before we sign off? No, I just really appreciate everything that WR Cog is doing for the region and uh, the leadership position uh, that uh, you and other staff have taken in uh, ensuring that uh, um, jurisdictions within the area are uh, getting the tools and the help that they really need uh, and, and doing it in a way that uh, I feel is, is really beneficial. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thank you. The Western Riverside Council of Governments, also known as WRCOG, exists to unify the Western Riverside County so that it can speak with a collective voice on important issues that affect its members. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit us at www.wrcog.us.